Hi, I'm Dr. Jane Leonard. I'm a GP and cosmetic doctor, and this is The Confidence Clinic. Every week, I'm going to be sitting down with different guests to talk about their life story. We're going to talk about how they got to where they've got, the challenges they've overcome along the way, and how confidence has played a role in their journey. One man who knows how life-changing being taken into a new family can be is John O'Lancaster. My adoption report says both parents were horrified by the child's appearance. Both parents left the hospital 36 hours later, leaving the child behind. I really, really struggle with goodbyes. Teenage years, that's when life became difficult and I became obsessed with the media and film and sport and music. The only representation that I had with somebody with a visible difference was a bad guy on a film. If I look like this, I'm not going to be able to find happiness. I'm not going to be able to find confidence. Who's going to want to give me a job? Life became very dark. Obviously, something must have switched in you. I found something that I liked about myself and those likes eventually turned into loves. I meditate, I do yoga, I keep myself hydrated, I eat well, I'll go to the gym. I was cruising through life, but that was when I came closest to taking my own life. There's a hero inside every single one of us, and these people showed me love. And ultimately, that led me to finding my own self-love. Yeah. And then that's developed me becoming my own hero, the biggest hero in my life. Hi guys, welcome to the Confidence Clinic. Today I've got a truly inspirational guest, Jono Lancaster. Jono has a really extensive bio, so kind of from the top, he is the founder of his own charity called Love Me Love My Face Foundation. He's been on numerous TV shows and documentaries, one being named after the charity, so Love Me Love My Face, and another one called So What Is My Baby's Born Like Me. Jono is also a public speaker, a mentor, and an influencer now on social media. And more recently, or due to be released, is now the author of his own book called Not All Heroes Wear Capes. To give a bit more context, um, Jono has a rare genetic disorder called Treacher-Collins syndrome and has become a spokesperson for this condition and a role model for many other people and children with facial, facial differences. So, kicking it off, <laughs> welcome Jono. Um, let's rewind back a bit to when you were little. That might be a good place to start. So, let's talk about your childhood. I was going to say, how was it? Such a broad <laughs> But yeah, talk me, to me about when you were little. You know, as a as a child, um, I, I grew up in, my mum fostered children. So as part of these children, she fostered children with disabilities. And that's how she was introduced to myself. Um, there's a little boy in hospital with a facial difference. He needs a family to look after him. Will, will you look after him? Will you meet him? And Jean, she just loved babies. And she was like, yeah, I'd love to meet Jonathan. And... Which she's always told me that there was so many conversations about my face and my appearance and yeah. she's like why are you talking about a child's appearance you know she she didn't get that and when she first met me she just oh my god he's the cutest baby uh, when can I take him home and, and and my childhood with Jean and her family was just amazing like I saw all these children that I lived with some had wheelchairs some had um their own unique ways of speaking, yeah. uh, some have behavioural needs, and we were just all celebrated. And I celebrated the fact that I had these little Bart Simpson ears, <laughs> and when the house got really noisy, I could take my hearing aid off because I, I'm hard of hearing. And, um, yeah, my childhood, 
those early days were just amazing. Just this house full of all these kids just causing absolute chaos. <laughs> late for everything. Yeah. Poor uh, Jean, how does she cope with you all? She <laughs> went grey very quickly. <laughs> but no, she just filled us all with yeah. love and confidence. And we were all just able to celebrate who we were. So childhood was good. And I had friends and we all played out on the street. And, um, you know, the, the dim, difficult things that... I faced was who could get to the fridge first for the best pudding. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, you know, the biggest challenge because life was just very bliss. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have any indicator of what yeah. life was in store for me further down the line. How many children we were fostered with you, with Jean? Um, over the years, there were so many. We had, you know, short-term respite, some that came to us like in emergency situations, some right. with us um, for years at yeah. a time um, so we were very there were loads of different circumstances how we um, ended up with all these children in his house and then my brother and sister you know they got married and started having their own families and we yeah. ended up looking after them the house was just always full um, and it was yeah a very special place to grow up how did you feel with them um, children coming and going like that out of your life early on oh, you know um I've been doing a lot of work recently around rejection and 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 a part of it as well, what I've picked up on it is I really, really struggle with goodbyes. Yeah. And I remember as a child, uh, my brother or sister would come and visit us once they got their own places. And when it was time to go, I just get this really funny feeling in my tummy, like it'd get all tied up and... Me and my mum always had this thing where we'd walk them out and then she'd go to end at gate and we'd wave goodbye. Yeah. Nothing bad had happened and I would see them tomorrow, but I would feel so sad. And it's something that still lingers. I remember finishing school, last day of high school, I had this yeah. sadness, this end of nights out when I was with my friends, you know, in my 20s party, and yeah. it was all time to go, I just feel sad. Um, and yeah, when we said goodbye to some of these children that had moved on for various reasons, it, it was crushing. Yeah. Really, really crushing. Because uh, part of your family, like, you know, it doesn't matter, like, you're from different ones, you're in Jean's house as a family together, Yeah, well, they, however long that is. Yeah, they shared my toys, Christmases, birthdays, yeah. we fought with each other, we played with each other, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, incredibly emotional. The highs were extremely high and the lows yeah. were pretty low. Sounds like, though, um, Jean must be an amazing lady anyway, from everything that you just said. Um, Jean is... The biggest hero in my life, the first hero that I'd ever met, and um, I'd hate to think where I'd be without her. Yeah, yeah, she's she's a very incredible lady, and the fact she 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 was divorced, and I, and I grew up by a single mum who was generations older than myself, and and I it's also brought me a lot of qualities that have really um, made me a lot more aware of my emotions and feelings um as i've got older like i've i know that it's okay to cry and i know yeah. that it's open it's okay to talk about stuff and my mum taught me those skills so um yeah i'm very blessed to have been brought up the way yeah I have. so moving on to the next chapter that we all go through is classically difficult your teenage years 
How were your teenage years? Teenage years, that's when life became difficult. I still had my amazing mum. The house was still full of all these crazy kids. <laughs> um, I have the best friends that I met when I was seven years old, and I'm still friends with them today. I grew up with them throughout my all my school. But I really started to struggle with my appearance. I, I looked for hope and strength and courage and, 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 and I became obsessed with the media and film and sport and music. Um, I started noticing that people would get into relationships and trends came and it was all about being cool. And, mm. and I just looked at my face and then started thinking about my birth parents. I'd always known that I was adopted. Yeah. But all this stuff just hit me in my teenage years and I didn't know how to deal with it and I didn't know how to process it. And then all of a sudden I just stopped talking and and I just looked at my face and I slowly began to hate my face. I went from celebrating who yeah. I was to being ashamed of who I was. And yeah, life became very tough. Can you remember like how you felt at that time? I know you're saying feeling really ashamed, but sort of deep down, like feelings of like, it must be quite isolating. You need to feel quite alone. I, I had so many emotions as a teenager. I was angry. I was like, you know, people are lucky enough to win the lottery. People are lucky enough to become a footballer, an actor, a singer, a doctor. And I ended up looking like this, and I thought that were really, really unfair. Like, I'm a nice yeah. person. Like, what have I done to deserve this? I became jealous of my friends. Um, everywhere I looked, I saw these regular faces, these normal faces yeah. that were just, you know, in the rom-cons, you know, the cool kid always got the girl. And yeah. I watched my favourite soccer stars, you know, they all had... The looks like I grew up like idolizing David Beckham, yeah. and, you know, and and I was like, oh, I've got a face like this. My, I was scared of my future. Like nobody's ever going to find me attractive. I, if I look like this, I'm not going to be able to find happiness. I'm not going to be able to find confidence. Who's going to want to give me a job? Who's going to want to start a family with me? And life became very dark and. And I, like I said, I looked everywhere for a hero or everywhere yeah. for a role model and I couldn't find one and I couldn't see one. The only representation that I had with somebody with a visible difference was like a bad guy on a film, you know, like a villain with a scar, um, like a James Bond villain or yeah. something like that. And like I said, there were no champions with visible differences out there and uh, it became very tough. And the only answer that I had was, I'm just going to not look at my face. Yeah and I tried to take the focus away from my face and developed a very, very bad attitude. So from that sort of change in your sort of teenage years to your sort of mindset about yourself, would you say then that you develop more sort of depressive symptoms, feeling depressed, anxious, like affecting your mental health in a more sort of consistent way than just a fleeting feeling? So I've... When, in order for me to get by in life through high school um, and then into college, so like late teenage years, I became obsessed with 
with food, diet, exercise, sunbeds. Um, so I hated my appearance. I hated, I had no confidence. So if, when I say I became obsessed with food, I would only allow myself to eat chicken and veg. I had a chicken breast and a pack of frozen veg, um, some Weetabix, and that was the only thing that I was allowed to eat. I cut out all sugars, all fat. I needed abs. I needed a body because if my right. face ain't all that, my body needs to be something. Then I would, I've got on in, um, into sunbeds. Um, I used to run in the sauna to dehydrate myself. And if I did these things daily, going to the gym, that would give me a 1 out of 10 confidence. Um, my diet would give me a 2 out of 10 confidence. The sunbed would give me a 3 out of 10 confidence. Right. It'd take me two hours to get ready. Uh, on a morning so I'd have to get up at five six o'clock just to start my day to do this two-hour regime buy a new outfit like any kind of money that I had would be spent on clothes and my image and then okay I'm five out of ten so now I'm faking a confidence putting on a fake smile just to try and get by and it was exhausting yeah um I would find myself leaving even going to college I used to get on the bus at seven o'clock avoiding rush hour so I could get there with no right. crowds just to decompose and I, I, my life was just planned around how I, I, I'd sweat everywhere yeah. so I always used to take a, an extra t-shirt with me um, I avoided breaks any kind of breaks I would go to the toilet and just hang out in the toilet on my own I was just really yeah we just even in college we had a two-hour dinner break I used to, on the top floor of my college, there were disabled toilet that nobody ever went to. I spent two hours in the disabled toilet. Just to avoid everyone around you, avoid people. Um, I put a load of toilet paper on the floor and I had a two-hour nap. Oh <laughs> Seriously. It became an escape at the yeah. beginning. And and then I just I went to sleep. Um, and I've always, I'm not sure if it was the depression in me, but I've always yeah. slept. I've always slept through problems. I've always slept avoiding things um so I had a lot of unhealthy coping yeah. strategies and I had a lot of fake fragile things that were giving me a false sense of yeah. confidence that could be taken away from me at that's any given so moment. interesting and I, I do hear what you're saying that idea of like right so I've been to the gym today I've run about in the sauna now I'm dehydrated now now my abs are coming through I've had this to eat today so that equals so many, many calories so it's all these kind of negative almost some way self-harming behaviors aren't they this is that but like you say to your point that they become exhausting and probably that's why i mean not only because what you're doing your body's probably thoroughly knackered no wonder you're sleeping so yeah. much but you know minimal food doing all that you know physical exertion in you know in mad temperatures or whatever but also what's going on behind the scenes in your head is also just going to be draining you I, I wasn't talking to anybody yeah. about it. You know, my mum, every single day, how are you doing, friends? Do you know you're all right? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And I was just, and I was just bottling all this emotion, all this emotion. And it got worse when I started drinking. So all of a sudden, I'm adding, adding alcohol into the mix. Yeah. And I have a very addictive personality. Anything I do, I'm all in. So... And now I'm added added alcohol into the mix, and I'd start going out to to bars and clubs with my friends, and I remember I wanted to do all these things like my friends were doing, 
but they were also so difficult and so challenging for yeah. me. It was like, I want to be there, but it's so frigging yeah. hard to do it. Um, so a typical night out, I was always the last person to arrive at the place. I was always, I'd always turn up under the influence of alcohol. Um, then we'd start drinking. I'd always have to go to the toilet first just to make sure everything was like perfect, you know, like everything was perfect. And then those toilets came more frequent, more frequent, more frequent. And everybody's having a laugh and it's all about how many girls you've slept with or how many people you've pulled and, yeah. you know, all this conquest. And it's just like, oh, and it still gives me a nick yeah. when people talk like that. Um, and it just didn't happen for me. Girls, and again, it wasn't necessarily because of my visible difference, but I was hiding away in a corner looking yeah. at the floor. I wasn't necessarily making myself approachable yeah. either. So all this is going on. And, and then end of the night come, last chance to pull or you go to the takeaway and you've gone from the dark where I could hide in yeah, the dark oh, in the club yeah. to a takeaway, bright lights and the taxi queues. I hated the taxi queues and I, I would I'd walk home on my own. Really? Yeah. Um, it, it started when I was 16, 17. There was a three-mile walk home from God. the local town to, to my area. And I used to walk home and I just used to cry. Like... Um, there's a song, um, Country Roads Take Me Home to a oh, Place yeah. Where I Belong. And as I walked home, I just, I wanted to go to a place where I belonged and I didn't yeah. feel like I belonged in this world looking like this. And and then all of a sudden I started thinking about dying and death. God. And when I thought about it, I never thought of taking my own life. I wanted to be involved in a car accident or I wanted to, and I'm embarrassed to say it, because people f experience these traumas and tragedies in life, but I wanted to, yeah. I, I wanted something to happen to me where really? I wouldn't it's just to end all of yeah. that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was tough, and got all this stuff going on in my head, my face, my birth parents, yeah. jealous of my friends who I absolutely adore. Yeah. I love my friends, but I was jealous of them. It was just so conflicting, and I didn't have any healthy outlets. Yeah. What time frame did that happen over? So this is 16, 17, 18. Things were really, really, really bad. Then. So thinking about that now, and then I'm looking at your sort of life. It's where you kind of ended up now. So I don't know how easy it's going to be for you to talk through it, but obviously something must have switched in you. And it sounds like, you know, you could, it's only so long you could have gone on like that. I think, and it's it's having all that on your shoulders in the back of your mind. For anybody, it's so much to deal with. And, and then the natural progression through in teenage years and then things like alcohol, escapism, things like that comes in that just basically put off the inevitable of having to deal with things. So just looking at how, obviously, to be where you are now, doing the work that you do now, and, you know, clearly flip, flipping things in a 360, what was the start of that journey? What was the turning point that you sort of saw a light at the end of the tunnel and start your journey of self-love away from this self-hate? Um, at 21, I found myself working in a gym. Right. And um, I was also, just before working in the gym, I found myself, there was a period in my life, 20, the year when I turned 20 to 21, I worked in a bar. Pop, uh, my friend, she's working in a bar, it's the best job, best job ever. The chicks are hot. We get drunk on a shift. 
It's just it's just a glorified night out, mate. You'll absolutely love it. So I found myself working with him and I hated it. I hated it, but it exposed me to a lot of events that did change my life. Right. And it, and it's so hard. It's so hard to be able to wrap it up in a conversation. Yeah. Because there's so yeah, much. Yeah, I get it, yeah. So I'm plugging my book. Read the book. Yeah. And it's all I've already got an hour. Talk with me, blow by blow. Um, but by the age I was, I was 21, and I found myself working in a gym, and I'd started dating, and I was dating people, and that was massive for me. Somebody finding me sexually attractive was just like, a drug almost but then like I said before I have got that person that addictive personality so like oh my god I need that next yeah I need that somebody to find me attractive that became a new addiction a new like oh that's actually three confidence points you know yeah, I yeah. managed to somebody find me sexually attractive so alcohol sex there that's oh, I need this I need this I need this and I'm working through all this stuff. And I found myself working, yeah, got myself in a job. I've always been passionate of fitness, sport, um, training and mentally, physically. I love that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, working in a gym. And I was a fitness instructor, like proper, still into sunbeds, yeah. wearing little short shorts, yeah. showing my tanned legs, obsessed with trainers. And every night when people go to the gym, they can lift weights, but they can't put them back. And I don't know why, but yeah. they can't put weights back. <laughs> so it was always down to me to put all the weights back. 9.30 every night, putting the weights away. And I found myself one night putting all the dumbbells away. And the dumbbells were always in front of the big, massive mirrors. So I'm putting the dumbbells away and I see my trainers, just bought some new trainers. And I was like, oh, my trainers are nice. I look at my legs and I was like, oh. Got, be, got some cute little legs here. Saw my butt. That is cute butt. Dust on my chest and my biceps in the gym. So I'm looking at my chest and I'm like filling my shirt out, even though it was extra small. <laughs> and yeah. normally I would always stop at my shoulders and never looked at my face. It was like a harsh reality check. Right. But that night in the gym, I was on a roll, trainers, legs, butt, chest, and I saw my face accidentally for the first time in what I can't remember. And I looked at my eyes and I was like, oh, I've got blue eyes. And I, that sounds daft because I've always known I had blue eyes. Yeah. But I found myself, oh, I've got blue eyes. Yeah. And I smiled. And as I smiled, I realized that I've got one dimple when I oh. smile. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And in the past, as a child, or as a teenager, I would always push my eyes up to try and make it look like everybody else's. And I thought, if I could look like everybody else, I'd be happy. And that was the answer. I needed a face like everybody else's. But here I am. 21 years old, just smiling at my yeah, frigging blue yeah. eyes in my little short shorts. And yeah. I was like, oh my God. Have you missed it before? Yeah. And and that was huge. Such a big energy shift at that point. And it became like by accident. And um, yeah, from then on, there was like, oh, I found something that I liked about myself. And those likes eventually turned into loves. And we were like, okay, we got this. Yeah. And it's kind of snowballed from there. Because even saying... Um Going back to your first points about hiding away in the toilets at, in, at college and um, not wanting to be around anyone for two hours. But working in a bar and working in a gym are public facing things, aren't they? Really. So you're definitely overcoming fears even just by putting yourself in those situations that previously you would have ran a mile from probably. Yeah. So my book's called Not All Heroes Wear Capes. And one of my friends 
he was like, dude, I've got you a job. Uh, <laughs> I was working in an 80s bar and he gave me a, a, a uniform and my first night was a student night and I was there and I was dripping with sweat. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? And, and, I, and I left early. I, I, I couldn't do it, but, you know, back came my friend <laughs> with his tough love, fresh uniform. Yeah. Come on, come, come on, on, get back. And, and, I, and it exposed me to so many people. And and it was it was life changing for me, throwing me in the deep end. And then uh, when I worked at the gym, uh, I was still struggling at the gym. And one of my old managers is like, "Jano, aerobics teacher hadn't turned up." And I was like, "And?" And he's like, "You're going to teach a class." And I was like, "Shut up!" And he's like, "No, you are." And um, I had to teach an aerobics class. And it went terrible. Oh, <laughs> it no. went absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, people left halfway through. I was going to say, feeling <laughs> stressed and trying to blag that while you're subconscious. It's going to be ideal. Uh, and they're like, Jono, it's not you. This is just... I did like a, a circuit class. But I was meeting people that were throwing me into the deep end. Yeah. And, and Believing I, in you. Yeah. And I was doing scary things. Um, but it, it was life-changing. Um, at 21... I went on my first lads' holiday. Every year since we were 16, they'd invited me. And I always said no. I just, just that environment was like yeah. the worst possible environment for me to be in. Uh, but by the time I was 21, I was like, no, let's go. Let's do it. Um, so I did. I went on my first lads' yeah. holiday when I was 21. Um, and that was at that time where you'd done, you basically took those risks on yourself to overcome them challenges, basically doing what you didn't want to do, yeah. facing your fears. Yeah. With those That's amazing. Yeah. Some of the scariest things we do in life are, are some of the, the best things. The best, do, yeah. yeah. And that holiday to Malia yeah. back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, on the Alcapops. It was just, honestly, it was life-changing. I think was that was the only place I didn't go Malia. I think I went to all the other ones yeah. like that. Yeah. But so from that point then, so you're 21, um, moving through more chapters of your book, which will tell the story in more detail, but going along to talking about more about your career now. So how did you end up being in this situation of being, um, well, first of all, the setting up the foundation, so your charity, and also it'd be good to talk about actually how from that you're representing, becoming that role model that you never had for people with facial differences. So however you can sum that up, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a lot in there yeah. as well because um, that last thing, that being a role model, is something that I've struggled with in recent years. Yeah. Um, we've, we backtrack a bit. So how did it start? Um, shortly after I was 21, um, I ended up in my first serious relationship. Beautiful relationship. And all of a sudden, I had somebody that believed in me, fell in love with me. And those kind of addictions kind of went away on their own. I didn't right, have yeah. to work through them. The more confident and the more I embraced my authentic self, the more that I, what I saw in the mirror that, that I loved. Um, this girl fell in love with that authentic self, yeah. authentic me. So I didn't rely on alcohol. I didn't rely on sex. I didn't rely on the sunbeds. Um, I didn't obsess over my body. There were still yeah. little bits of diet and exercise. It's always still been a big part of my life, but it's always, it, it was healthier. But all of a sudden, I had this nice foundation of friends, a relationship, my mum. And then ultimately... I was able to do my own work, exploring what I was going through, and, and life was good. Um, 
another holiday to Egypt. Um, with the lads no, or with your girlfriend? With the, the lads had been ditched. Oh, right. Okay. Now it's couples. God, it must have been serious. Yeah, couple, <laughs> couples, uh, couples holidays. And we're in Egypt. And I'm reading um, a celebrity gossip magazine by the pool. And I got halfway through it. And so this is what, 15 years ago. And there were this article in the middle of this magazine in the quality of the circle of shame and there were pictures oh, of that. celebrities and it would circle their wrinkles their cellulite yeah. baby bumps and they called it the circle of shame and i read it and i looked at all the captions and it angered me and at the end of this catalog uh, magazine it said do you have a story to tell and i was like yeah i do i'm in egypt with this amazing person who fancies the pants off me i've got this attitude and this outlook i was like yeah i've got a story to tell so i shared this story then with that with that magazine with that magazine. so you just contacted them just contacted them I like emailed like, them and said yeah, yeah. contacted the email address oh, i wrote gosh, in right. i was like this is me and like oh we'll send a report of a writer what have you so she interviewed me and she's like oh my god you're freaking amazing and i was like thank you. and they, they published this story in the magazine of my my journey really uh, up until that point of me kind of finding this start of self-love. And I say it was a start of self-love because my self-love since then and the work and my confidence mm. have just gone on to other levels. And the BBC picked hold of this magazine, this article that I did in this magazine, and they got in touch. They were like, Jono, right. we would love to do a documentary with you. And I was like, okay. So they had an interview and we did a pilot. That's How did you feel then? That must have been mad for you. Like, because you'd send something off like that and like, we could have easily been, they must get loads of emails, right? At the, the, the magazine and then to yeah. go, actually, there's something. And then obviously then to make something that caught the attention. Um, telly. I was just completely like, it was just a whim, you know, like, oh, I'll just do it, just do it. And... Um, it, it just kind of snowballed. It were unplanned, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was a start of like a mad five years, to be honest. Um, the BBC got in touch. We did a documentary. We um, they filmed me for nine months. All right. Um, and we produced an hour documentary, and um, it went out on BBC Three, and. Opening viewing figures were absolutely incredible. Um, we ended up doing various promo for yeah. it, and it, it just. And then the BBC were like, "John, we love you. We'd love to do some yeah. more work with you." So, because you've done quite a lot, haven't you? Documentaries, TV shows. Yeah, so we started doing more documentaries um, where I wasn't necessarily the subject. I started doing little bits of presenting within these roles. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And we never really kind of checked in with one another. It was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just go with this. And then I found myself with all these families and individuals from all over the world writing to me. Can you meet my son? Can you meet my daughter? They're going through yeah. a difficult time. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Can you visit this school? Can you talk to our kids about acceptance and bullying? I was like, yep, let's do it. And I have this natural, I'm a people pleaser, and I have very poor boundaries. Oh, I did have something yeah. that I've been working on. Um, so I was like, yes, let's do it, let's do it. And I said yes to everything. And um, I just went with all this stuff, and yeah, it just kind of snowballed, and luckily it turned out to be 
very lots so yeah. many beautiful moments so many beautiful memories and i had this incredible partner who went along with it all yeah. with me and um yeah i wouldn't have been able to do it without her for sure it's amazing to hear that story and i think um one thing that really stands out to me is again reflecting back on your journey of the steps that would have seen like small challenges to overcome like i said be hiding away then working in the gym and then so you're public facing and then now you've gone to the ultimate public facing thing of being in the public eye essentially going straight like onto tv putting yourself forward I mean, did you at the time recognise what um, a massive leap of faith, like that? that's ballsy for anyone, right? But when you're perhaps coming from this constant work that you're doing to tick these confidence boxes and keep this um, flow of self-love and self-confidence and self-esteem going, but actually you're putting yourself in situations where if you're gonna be knocked, it's gonna be knocked big time. So it's an amazing thing to do. I was just wondering if you realised at the time what, I was clueless. Right. <laughs> Absolutely clueless. It's always in retrospect, isn't it, when you say that? But that's what I really heard when you were saying that. I was clueless as what I was letting myself in for. Um, I'm in uh, London Fashion Week. Um, I got to do a, a catwalk show. Um, and I found myself on stage in a little pair of jeans with a rose in my mouth, <laughs> yeah. uh, walking the catwalk. And I was like, oh my, this is just, this is just insane. Like, when was that? Uh, this years ago. Uh, in, in, during all that whirlwind. In all that whirlwind yeah. stuff. Um, and then I think I had a reality check. Um, we we did BBC News promoting one of the documentaries, primetime BBC News, on a morning. And they posted it online for other people to see. And I, and I watched it and I looked at the comments. Then I started seeing negative comments. And I was, yeah. I was like, ooh, ooh. And the, my worst fears and the things that I've thought about myself, all of a sudden I was reading. Yeah. Like, why is she with him? Um, I'll kill it with fire. Um, he's the scariest what? guy. Just, there was so many horrible things. Um, and then somebody messaged well, like me. They're almost like death threats. Yeah, there's been loads of people that have wished horrible things that I, I, need to, I should have been aborted. People have hoped that I've got cancer. Uh, people have said that they want to fix my face with a baseball bat. Um, it looks like somebody set me on fire. Um, when I meet all these children with Treacher Collins, we, we do look alike because we have the same condition. I'll get moronic comments of don't let it reproduce. Uh, don't let it lay eggs. Um, oh just imagine waking up to that. No, they were I just, couldn't. They were just... Um, somebody exposed me to a joke page where they put a photograph of me on this joke page and everybody just made jokes up of me. And I was able to deal with it. Like I developed a thick skin. I was like, this is my norm. I'm like, I, it's not nice, but I can deal with it. And it still hurt, but I was able to deal with it. The thing that bothered me the most was like, people started questioning why my girlfriend was with me. Yeah. And they started like, oh, what's wrong with her you know and and that uh or my mum reading these messages yeah. I, i'm naturally like oh no the people around me it's yeah affecting of course them. of course and that was a reality check i was like oh crap what am i doing that's the negative side i think of all social media but not even social media i think being thrust into public eye regardless of your background but particularly you know that whoever you are it's always you're only human yourself it's always going to be particularly if they were what were the things that held you back because you held 
believe certain beliefs about yourself that you've worked on to get past and then all of a sudden you go from being achieving and being proud of yourself and on this pathway that is you know spiraling in a really good way just a comment like that can just bring you straight back down and re knock your confidence back to back to zero or less than zero how did you deal with that moving it, forward it's weird because i feel sorry for the the trolls and the bullies um i feel sorry for these people because I once thought my face would hold me back from finding happiness, love, relationships, friendships. But truth is, it's attitude like theirs. That's what's going to hold them back. That's what's going to yeah. hold anybody back in life. And I feel sorry for them because they don't see the beauty in the world that I do. They don't ex get to experience the beauty that I get to experience. And I ultimately do feel sorry for them. And I hope that they are able to change their views and their yeah. ways because it's just going to ruin their life. Not mine. But saying that... Sometimes the silliest of comments, like, oh, imagine waking up to that. Yeah. So I just, on some random day, just cut so deep. Yeah. And I'm like, ow. Yeah, like, yeah. That's yeah. just crushed. And, and then, then once it's there, it's very hard to shake yeah. that off, imagine. But then other times I'm like, it adds fuel to the fire. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it, and I, I'll, I'll rise a but you know, it'll add motivation to yeah. me and stuff but so i can't control how i feel about it yeah. sometimes it just cuts deep and sometimes it just goes straight over i think that's a really amazing point actually two amazing points that first of all your ability to essentially forgive these people because that's what you're doing isn't it being like well you're the one you're the ones um who see life differently if you want to speak to people in, in that way that says everything about them nothing about you mm -hmm. but i think secondly that idea that i've definitely learned and particularly been um sort of reiterated from doing these podcasts is that you know feelings that we have at different times of our life and the way that we react to things it's it's knowing that with experience and maturity that that feeling will pass and I suppose that's what you're describing that sometimes you're like you know fuck you then you've said that about me I'm just going to go and do 10 times better or just letting that feeling when it literally cuts to the bone just sit with it and knowing it will eventually kind of fade away but um, do you have any tips for speeding up that process for people going through a similar thing? Yeah, um, and and this is where the self love comes comes in. Like people are like always asking me, Jono, how do you how do you find self love? What is self love about? So when those negative comments do happen, I had an experience on in on TikTok a few years ago. Um, somebody had created a video where you took a photo of yourself, and it rated you out of ten. 10 being the most attractive. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and there was 10 people in the public eye who you were supposed to most look like. Chris Hemsworth was number 10, most desirable. I was number one. Oh, and next, God. Yeah, number one, it said, people only pity date or pity fuck these people. These people are subhuman. And it had been you hashtagged like 35 million times. What? Yeah, it absolutely crushed me. Um, and... Oh my God, it was. I was like, oh, it's another, it's another kick in the gut, you know. Like you're just cruising through life, and then all of a sudden you just get another yeah. kick in the gut, and you're like, oh crap. And I talked, I talk. The thing is, I I sit on these, I sit on this, and I feel it. I am, I, I don't bottle it up. I don't move on from it. I don't try and occupy my mind. I don't try and see it and move on. I sit with it, and I talk to the people around me um 
I, I meditate, I do yoga, I keep myself hydrated, I eat well, I'll go to the gym, I'll have the biggest cake in the shop. Yeah. Um, I, I do all these things and the language that I use when I'm talking to myself as well is absolutely massive. Um, I talk to myself with kindness and love yeah. and nurturing and, and all that is part of this self-love and that helps me get through that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that just shows me the massive strength of character but millions of other things beyond that, but that must be crushing for anyone. But just credit for you to be able to kind of box it off in whichever way you do and move forward. Just mad those things even get allowed in the first place. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But the the one thing that I take from that is I have so many amazing um, viral posts and yeah. stories that go viral. Oh, this is an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, and there's so many amazing comments. So, um, and I visit a load of schools. And I, all the kids make me cards and stuff like that. I've got a suitcase at home really? with all these, like, Jono is so cool, Jono's... And so I just know that there's so much more love and yeah, positivity exactly. and acceptance in this, in this world. And, and through my socials as well, I've also... The more authentic I am in my socials, the more followers yeah. I've gained and... I'm not bragging or anything like that, but what I'm saying is people absolutely love authenticity. Yeah. They love it when people show their unique stamp yeah. to the world. And and seeing that and having those deep connections with people and sharing that vulnerability, yeah. it's just, you make the best human connections. That's amazing. You linked really nicely in the topic that I definitely wanted to cover. And that is this massive role of this mentorship that you've created um, for kids and, and adults, generally about facial differences. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, <laughs> Again, um, I to summarise so many massive chapters of the book. But um, no, this, um, like I said, when I was growing up, I looked everywhere for a role model and I, and I just couldn't find yeah. one. Um, I saw Meatloaf um, in I Would Do Anything For Love. Yeah. Uh, the music video. And um, he had to change back into Meatloaf and ride off on his motorcycle to get the girl. Um, Edward Sidorand ended up in his castle on his own. And yeah, it absolutely yeah. broke my heart. I was like crushed. And I just sobbed. Um, and then as I became confident and I started meeting children with facial differences and I was like hey I've got a smile on my face and yeah. this is my job and this is my happiness this, and 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 I loved giving back I loved being that light I it, it was be who you needed when you were young yeah, and, I, yeah. and, I, and I that's what motivates me to do it but the more I was doing that I realized that the kid with freckles, the kid with red hair, the school teacher, the dinner lady, they were all coming up to me and like, Jono, you just spoke to me today. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we all live in this world that's obsessed with image and obsessed with looks. And it's tough for every single one of us. And I found myself connecting with so many people. And then I started to feel it all. And it got so heavy on me. Yeah. Like I felt like I had to be this shining light 24 7 yes, that responsibility and, and it crushed me it, it crushed me but somehow i would go to another school i would visit another family i would visit another country i would just give 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 and give and even when i was empty i would give 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 and 
um, in the past five years. Um, that's something new that I've had to manage. Yeah, I felt not burning it. yourself out by the energy you're giving. And it's that essential energy, what is your kind of, I was going to say calling, but I suppose that's what you're doing naturally. You know, you, you have all these skills and you give people that that hope and that even direction, I suppose, in some ways, when they're feeling completely lost with themselves and not knowing how to move forward, you're living proof. Not only can it be done, but you can have a, a pretty bloody amazing life as well. You know, it's it, it's actually that pressure and that weight, I hid it. For mm. so long, I hid it. And I was like, I want to show these people that I went from self-hate to self-love. Yeah. And here I am, confident and happy. And that's what I did. I shared. And, and people did take hope and courage and inspiration from it, what have you. But then when I found myself struggling, I started to share that. Yeah. And Being then, authentic again. Yeah. And then people were like, Jono, I actually like you even more. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, people see this confident person, but you've also shared four years ago now, four years ago was I was cruising through life everything i touched turned to, to to magic dust it was just it was just incredible i was doing things that i've like had to pinch myself that i was doing but that was when i came closest to taking my own life as well right. through various pressures right yeah and and i started to share this and they were like even again you wouldn't think that sorry to yeah. interrupt you you wouldn't think that on the outside yeah. even though i've got a book coming out that's even though i'm a motivational speaker I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from depression. I still have these thoughts about ending my life or whether I'm going to be happy or where is the... I still have those moments of mass insecurity. Yeah. And and it's a long overdue that we start to normalise those conversations and normalise yeah. those feelings. Um, and I am happy and I'm excited about my future and I've got so many untold adventures with... Yeah strangers that I've not even met yet yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. much things that I'm looking forward to in life but I do know there is going to be so many more challenges along the way and the way I am best equipped for that is be my own hero yeah. and surround yes, myself yeah. with tons and tons of love again I suppose like you say that is the point where people just assume that when people see other people doing well that it's all, you know, it's all rosy. But actually, and this is probably where this idea of this podcast, The Confidence Clinic, came about to me, that actually it's sometimes when you are, when everything is going well or you're achieving your dreams, so to speak, that actually the press, pressures creep up on you more. And it's like that saying, you know, it's lonely at the top. You know, you're you're in a position where actually not that many people can help you because you've created this unique skill set, this unique energy portfolio on countless different platforms you you're the one who's got to be delivering constantly everyone looks to you and you know it's sometimes it'd be nice like if you did have you know a boss you could turn around to and say you know what do I do here or take this pressure off me or you want a week off you can't really I mean you, you can but like it's it's just managing this ongoing you know the ongoing journey that you're going to have just factoring that you, you just don't burn out along the way yeah, um, the I do have social media breaks. Yeah, um, I have times where I'm just like, I'm done, I'm done, not not I'm not giving anything anymore. I'm just gonna yeah be still and take myself away, or just stay at home and and just be still. Um, so I'm definitely getting a lot better at that. Um, I have 
various outlets that allow me to release, like through a therapist, a spiritualist, yoga, meditation, yeah. exercise, hiking. Um, so I make sure I do all of yeah, that. Good. And, um, yeah, So moving on now, there's two other bits that I want to just cover is related to your charity. Mm -hmm. So your own um, foundation that you created. How did that come about? So um, in my 20s, I was meeting all all these families all over the world with children with facial differences. And and I was spending time with them. Like I went to Australia and I was kicking a football in the park with the kids. And some people travel to see, you know, all the big sites. I get to travel and kick a football in the yeah. park. I'll play Mario Kart Wii on the, um, on the, on the computer. Um, I get to have stakeout or I go to church. I get to do these carving pumpkins, these interactions with all yeah. these families. It's just a beautiful way to travel. Anyway, I came home from Australia making all these connections and I went through this fancy airport that had a waterfall through it and a solid gold toilet. Amazing. And I was like, wow, wow. And I just cried while I was on this gold toilet because I just met so many kids that didn't have the means to afford a hearing aid. Yeah. And it broke my heart. How can we have so much excess? And yeah, and let's, yeah. And I, and I got home and I shared with my friends, the same person who got me the job in the bar. Right. And I was like, I can support these people emotionally, but I can't support them with me. And there needs to be more. And he's like, dude, why don't we set up his own charity? And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> and then my friend, um, a, a professional rugby player, He's actually intelligent, even though he's been bashed on the head that many times. He's really, really smart. So it's still there. So he's um, like, oh, I'll look into it. So he does all the legal stuff and jump wow. all the red tape stuff. And uh, the, yeah, the Love Me, Love My Face Foundation was launched in 2017 and we're able to support emotionally and now medically yeah. through expenses. Um, and I still continue to go into schools and do anti-bullying stuff as well. Um, so yeah, it's something I'm incredible. I mean, that about. on its own is incredible, isn't it? And like you say about the the when I say the little things, it's the things that get overlooked that people go without. Like having a hearing aid is essential for not only functioning day to day life, but your quality of life yeah. and the way that you're basically isolated. And that's just one thing in a whole sort of catalogue of things that people could be lacking. So I think you again identifying that and saying, look, you as one person, you can be there emotionally and share your story, but that can only go so far. So that's again, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the final points of this, your book, so Not All Heroes Wear Capes. How did the title come about? Um, the I, I wrote the book proposal and we they were able to read a bulk of the, the story of what I was going for. And I spoke about people that I met in my life by a simple handshake, by a simple moment, changed my life forever. And these people were like heroes to me. And and I and they were like, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Yes. Because I I met a guy in a in the bar all them years ago. And we had a conversation and he asked me about my face. Yeah, he, he was curious about my face. He wanted to know about my face. He spoke about my hearing aid and I hated those conversations. Yeah. And at the end of the conversation, he held out his hand and he was like, Jano, it's nice to meet you. And he shook my hand 
and off he went. A single stranger just changed my life forever. And throughout my life, I've met so many people that have just influenced it in such a beautiful human way. Yeah. And we think of all these heroes like Thor and Captain yeah. America and stuff like that. But there's a hero inside every single one of us. And these people showed me love. And ultimately, that led me to finding my own self-love. Yeah. And then that's developed me becoming my own hero, the biggest hero in my life. And when the book comes out, 20th of July, um, I hope that people pick it up and read yeah, it and please. go on this journey together with me. And ultimately, I want them to become the biggest hero in their own yeah. life. You know, every night we go to bed and we've got a head full of thoughts. Yeah. And a heart that beats for us and only us. And and that's massive. And we wake up every single day. The following day, we take those first steps out of the door. We deal with his anxiety. We deal with the crap that the world throws. And we go and go and go and go. And that's that's epic stuff. Yeah. And we don't ever give ourselves credit. Not, yeah, that. exactly. Looking back, reflecting is sometimes what you only do when things kind of hit rock bottom and you don't kind of look at yourself and congratulate yourself for even the small steps that you're making towards the bigger picture. It's interesting to know, like, you, this book must have been so emotional for you to write in so many different ways. Um, what different emotions, good and bad, have you gone through during it? Oh, obviously, one of them being, it's your first book. Okay. So the pressure of, like, yep. summarising all these things. I mean... Yeah. So when I wrote my book proposal, they were like, Jenna, three things are going to happen. We're either going to politely say no. Right. We're going to offer you a deal with a ghostwriter or we're going to absolutely love your writing and you're just going to do it on your own. So I submitted it and they were like, yeah, Jono, you don't need a ghostwriter. We absolutely we love wanted this. A ghost writer, we wanted a ghostwriter. I wanted a ghostwriter because all of a sudden now I was like, "Yeah, there's your deadline, 47,000 words. God. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, um, that shows, though, again, being authentic. They want it in your words yes. as you saw it, as you did it. Yeah. When I was like, being like, actually, I've never done this before, yeah. so surely they'd yeah. be better. But yeah. And if you have a conversation with my friends, I am not the brightest, I am not the sharpest tool in the toolkit. Um, but I managed to get there. And I was telling you earlier, there were deadlines. I was like, oh, I'm at 30,000 words. And I was changing I'm to I am just to increase <laughs> yeah. the word count. And I was like, I can't do this. But then. I also found myself spending time with my teenager self. Yeah. And when, before I wrote the book and I looked back at teenager Jonathan, little Jay, I call him, it was a bit cringy and I, I, a little bit embarrassed. And I have all these memories in my head where I, I would cringe and I would get embarrassed or I would get sad and angry. But then I remember how sweet and innocent with yeah. his dodgy bowl cut, yeah. writing love poems and quoting Celine Dion <laughs> and taking inspiration from Meatloaf. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I do, I, I love Little Jay so much. And um, I've spent a lot of time with Little Jay um, as I worked through my book. And um, it's just helped me heal. Yeah, And yeah. Um, if I could... Anybody listening to this and they're looking at trying to build their confidence and look at past traumas and stuff, they spend time with their inner child. Yeah. Like, really spend time with them. Um, I got one of my old school teddies, um, one of my old childhood teddies 
And I put one of my old rugby shirts on him. Because I had to visualise my, my therapist, my good friend, actually, Jambo, hear me like, John, spend time with your inner child. Visualise him, spend time with him. So I created Little Jay. And um, the first day I did it, I took him on a car. I had a photo shoot booked in Newcastle. And so I put him on the passenger seat and we went on this two-hour car journey together. And I spoke to him and I'd just gone through a breakup. And I was like, John, Lil Jay, why do we keep on getting rejected? Why did this? And it was like stem from my birth parents and stuff. And, And then all of a sudden it switched. And I was like, hey, you know what? We attract so many amazing things, yeah. so many amazing people, so many incredible opportunities, so many beautiful human connections. Like, oh my God, we're incredible. And look at all these friends that we've made along our, our, along the way. And it was, it was just groundbreaking. So it's, the book has just been this yeah. incredible emotional roller coaster. And I hope it comes through when people read I'm sure it. it will. I mean, you should be absolutely proud of yourself for achieving it. And also writing it yourself in all your... It's not just like you've sat down and said, this is what it's about. You've actually... You've put pen to paper, gone through the emotions, reflected on things, and it's your own story as you see it and lived it. So that's amazing. I mean, I'm very lucky that throughout this whole process, not only have I got my, my friends and my family that have supported me, that Fern Cotton and the yeah. whole Happy Place team... And they've just been the best support network helping. They've just given me every resource that I've ever needed to be able to to create this. And yes, I am proud of myself. Yeah, no, you should be. It's it's back to that, oh, I'm my own hero, yeah. but I've got so many people, amazing people around me too. And it's the 20th of July. 20th of July. Um, I'm incredibly nervous. Like, yeah. honestly, I'm incredibly nervous. But um, yeah, I just, it's a journey and I am sharing my journey yeah. and my my thoughts and we go on this journey together but as you're reading it I do give you various prompts and we look at boundary setting we look at the inner child stuff we look in environment it's very much like um practical tools and tips for people reading to go along your same journey yes and I think that's what makes it really really unique and actually will appeal to so many people like genuinely I'd be interested in your story but also doing that work that you described that you know I've definitely gone through a time where I'm reflecting on things in my life and, you know, it's, it's opening your mind to exploring these things yeah. and looking at somebody like you, it's to me is an amazing success story and also um, sharing your challenges and the way that, you know, it's not all been rosy as we've discussed, but actually it's keeping your eyes sort of moving forward and just embracing life. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, amazing. I could speak to you all afternoon, <laughs> but I think we're just about to run out of time. Um, Thank you so much, Shano. Honestly, it's been amazing to talk to you. And your book, can you just let the listeners know where you can get that from? or what um, On all the usual platforms, Amazon, yep. uh, Waterstones, Book Depository. If you follow me on Instagram, yep. it's on my bio. They can pre-order the book now. Um, and so, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to speak to me. Thank you for listening. And, you know, every time I get to share, it's like a three therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for the three therapy. No. Anytime. <laughs> no, it's lovely to meet you, honestly. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, my pleasure.